when Mike Breen, in his Mike Breen call way, said, Kawhi Leonard going crazy. And then they cut to him. And Kawhi looks like, I don't know, he looks like he's waiting for his car to come out of the car wash. Oh, my gosh. There was no reaction at all. He None. Just looked absolutely dead eyed. It Nothing. was crazy. And no one was surprised, right? No, nah, nobody. NBA conference finals continue. Hoping for a long series. The Bucks certainly look like they have taken control of the series. Sorry, Renee. From the Hawks, after a playoff career high from Chris Middleton. And the Suns are gunning for their first finals appearance since uh, 92-93. First, Renee, we must, we must speak about the Hawks. Oh, God. What is your level of concern right now? Uh, after Chris Middleton's career game and the Bucks taking a 2-1 lead in the series? Well, my level of concern about Chris Middleton and the Bucks are not very high. Um, my real level wow. of concern... <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not too much worried about that. My real level of concern is that the Hawks just released a statement saying that Trey Young's mm. MRI came back with a bone bruise on his right foot. That's yes. my real concern, Jason, That's because, concern. again, I said it in the in the broadcast last night, no one's figured out how to guard Trey. They everyone's thought they figured out how to guard Trey, and then he he drops a forty piece nugget. So it's like you have a game, and he might not have guarding Trey and Trey missing shots are two different things. So do you know Trey's shot charts and what shots were open? That's the thing. So Coach Nate McMillan talked about it in the fourth quarter. Bogey had two wide open threes in the fourth quarter. Trey yeah. had two wide open threes in the fourth quarter. Whether or not they make or miss doesn't mean people know how to guard them. So Trey talked about it in his presser last night. He said, look, I had a terrible game, too. I couldn't make a shot. I, look, I'm an athlete that breaks down the game film. We've talked about it when your Knicks were playing. Making or missing <laughs> shots doesn't mean somebody's guarding someone correctly. That means that they're making sure. or missing shots. I, yeah, I agree with that. The Hawks, certainly in game two, which was a blowout win for the Bucks, just yeah. missed a lot of shots that they would have made. That said... Yeah. You know, we just, the defense isn't, I mean, let me give the Bucks credit. Yeah, Coach Bud gets criticized all the time. He never makes adjustments, and he they <laughs> tweaked the defense. They they, they made Tracy bodies in that game. Now, I'm not saying they that's did. why the Hawks missed a lot of shots, but they did tweak it. They did, and this is survival of the healthiest. We know this. And so, well, Trey, yeah. what was Trey's tweak when they just started to do all those bodies? Trey made, and this is not even an like an exaggeration, he made a 36-footer from the logo in the first quarter. <laughs> then he went ahead and made a 35-footer to follow it up to make sure you, you know that he can shoot those on a regular. <laughs> he made a 28-footer, another 26-footer. They tracked those with the Hawks on the broadcast. So that's why I say that whether, like, if he would have taken those shots and missed them, the adjustment wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been that the adjustment worked. He just made or missed the shots. Trey in the first three quarters, unbelievable. If anybody oh, was watching the game, was- 32 points in 31 minutes, then he got hurt and everything changed. Yeah. So to answer your question at the top, yes, the Bucks, I'm not saying that the Bucks aren't a good team, but I'm usually never worried because I know that we have Trey Young. We know how to make adjustments. We play well together, but Right now, we have a bogey that's running around that he just is not there. He, yeah. He's shooting all arms. He's not the bogey that we've seen. The April Showers bogey where the only person that shot better <laughs> than him was Steph Curry was the only player shooting better than bogey in April. 
We don't have that bogey. And now we have a bone bruised Trey Young who, in his presser, he said, look, I'm frustrated, you know? Like, it hurts while I play. My first step isn't my same first step anymore. Yeah. People are staying in front of me. That makes me concerned, okay? Like, that's... Now I'm concerned because now the results of the MRI came back that there really is something there. So, yeah, that I still believe Atlanta, yeah. but woo. Uh, yeah, I mean... Health, obviously, has been such a theme of these playoffs. And for a bogey to get hurt, um, that's one thing. But then with Trey, now all of a sudden, uh, the ball handling is not the same. Yeah. Trey, you could tell when he came back uh, from stepping on the ref's foot that it was it was different. He was playing off the ball. It was night and day different. Yeah, and, and, you know, Kevin Herter, can he pick up the slack? I mean, these are these are open questions that really changed the kind of entire way the Hawks play. But that was such a freak thing. I mean, yeah. the, like what the ref was just, I'm that's one of those plays where it's like, why hasn't Steph Curry stepped on the ref's foot a million times? Like, that's just one of those weird. Cause things. they all step. It's called a false step. And everybody yeah. does it where you step backwards instead of stepping forward. And, you know, to that point, when Trey Young got hurt last time because he talked about it, he said, I always get hurt by stepping on people's foot because he does yeah. floaters and different things of that nature. Bogey became the backup point guard. I don't know if people knew this, but when Trey Young got hurt and missed a couple games, we had Bogey. And then that's when the April showers happened. So yeah. Trey Young's hurt. Bogey's hurt. I mean, Lou Will's going to have to play some way bigger minutes now. Yep. You know, we're going to have to lean on him. Red Velvet. It's. I mean, like, like I said, I've never been concerned until now, and it's not because of an opponent. It's about health. I mean, we've seen that take down the best of the best teams. Look at the Nets. Yeah, let me ask you this: So the Hawks fans have been counting out yes. Giannis's <laughs> free throw time, and they've been doing, you know, much the same way the Nets fans were doing. And of course, the NBA told the Nets team to stop putting the shot clock up on the up on the uh, jumbo. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it was reported that the Hawks, uh, you know, the coaching staff front office were just were annoyed, certainly with the NBA that like this rule apparently doesn't count. It hasn't really played a role in the Bucks taking control of the series. At the same time, it's like, is this a rule or not? Um, like, <laughs> here's my annoyance with this. There might come a point in this series where. Giannis going over the allotted 10 seconds actually does matter in the course yeah. of this series. Is this a rule or is this not a freaking rule? Like, I'm so it annoyed by this. It is a real live rule. I mean, like, the NBA, when they put out their statement, they acknowledged that they had messed up and missed it one time when it was more than 10 seconds. So it's clearly a rule that's in the rule books that's basically not being enforced, probably because the referees... During a free throw, they probably take their little break. They get their mind together. They catch their breath. They need to start counting, okay? Uh, because to your point, of course, it's, these games are so close, all of them. It's not like these games are, of course, there's a blowout here or there, but these are games by one to two point margins. Yeah, we want, especially for a player like that, where we saw what Hack of Ben did, you know, yes. in the last series with Ben Simmons, he didn't even shoot a shot in the fourth quarter. So imagine if now you're starting to get violations if you're Giannis and now the rule is starting to be called and now they have to sit you. Giannis said himself, shouts to Chris Middleton, by the way, because I had to yeah. yell at him on the broadcast. I say, calm down, Chris. I'll say it again. <laughs> calm down, Chris. We liked you, okay? Like, you don't have to do all that. 
But Giannis <laughs> basically was like, yeah, I don't mind Chris being the man in the fourth quarter. That's a two-time MVP saying that, by the way. So that That's was huge. pretty interesting to me. Did you see uh, <laughs> when there was a moment late in the game, Middleton was was hot on his run. And he called a timeout rather than throw it to Giannis and have Giannis like uh, potentially get fouled because that was like the only pass he could make. Business I, I decision. Mean, I got to say, I have I, I can't remember the last time I saw a team where the best player was not the best player for the entire game. Like yeah. Giannis, obviously, in the open court and as uh, a um, athletic marvel who pulls down rebounds, goes the length of the floor, uh, gets into his spin move and just attacks, attacks, attacks the basket. He's incredible. Um, but down the stretch of games, it's obvious. Like Middleton can get his own shot in the half court. That's oh, yeah. who they go to. Have you ever seen anything like this where it's like this two-pronged approach where you have a two-time MVP, an MVP-level player who for three-quarters of the game is essentially the guy, and then in the fourth quarter, when everything grinds down, you turned it over to a completely different player. I, I don't know that I've ever seen that before. I don't know, and that, like, to me, that's... That's crazy because this is a two-time MVP. I just keep saying that because if you're the most valuable player of the entire National Basketball Association and twice. on your own team, twice, <laughs> and on your twice. own team, you are not the man in the fourth quarter. I just, like, my mind has a really hard time processing it. Like, I keep trying to process it. It's like that meme with numbers flying around. I'm like, yeah. I'm trying to make sense of it because even as he's talking out loud at the press conference and they're saying it, they're acknowledging it. That, yeah, Chris Middleton's yeah. the man for the fourth quarter. He literally said it. And he said, when Chris Middleton retires, that'll be the saddest day of my career. I just, like, my mind, <laughs> my mind explodes. I just can't even believe it because it's like, wow, this is, like, when you get MVP, First of all, people need to understand how hard that is to do with the it's players. And hard. it's hard to make yes. all-star. You know, every yeah. year we talk about all-star stub, snubs. This guy was MVP. And, like, when it matters most, we know the fourth quarter, when it matters most, the ball can't be in his hands. He is, a again, a two-time MVP. It, forget, like, yes, winning the MVP one time is really, really hard. Really hard. Winning multiple MVPs is like, that's a short, here's the list. Here's the list. Kareem with six, oh Bill God. Russell and Michael Jordan with five, Wilt and LeBron James with four, Moses Malone, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson with three, Bob Pettit of the old St. Louis Hawks, Carl Malone, Tim Duncan, Steve Nash, Steph Curry, and Giannis with two. That's, <laughs> that's an elite group. That's a handful of players across the breadth of the NBA. And the only person on this list who you would say is not the best player on his own team during stretches of games is Giannis. It's wild. So let me ask you something, Jason. When you go through that MVP list and you look at those players, do any of them have a glaring weakness? That's why it's so interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, who who would you say has like such a glaring weakness I, you know, Wilt famously struggled with his free throws, but it was a completely different game then. I was just going to say, I was yeah. going to say disregard the old school versus the new school. Yeah, in a you sense can't of, do that, right. But the the point I'm trying to make is that like when you're the most valuable player of the entire league, that means that you, obviously your numbers were there, you were the best player. But I just find it hard to understand that 
and a two-time MVP candidate, they don't want the ball. Chris Middleton would rather call a timeout than give a yes. two-time MVP the ball? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I, oh I mean, gosh. Tim Duncan notably struggled for stretches. I think he has a career uh, free throw shooting percentage of just just under 70. But that's, again, like leaps better than 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 Giannis. Is shooting. I, I've never I've really never seen anything like it. It's really unique. And is again, a two time, not all star, not all NBA. Right. A two time MVP. Wow. You know, you said something that triggered my mind about free throws. Paul George has really received a lot of criticism. A lot, a lot of talk has been playoff P, you know, and when you self-name yourself, that already gets, <laughs> that that makes it tough. I'm just going to say, like, when you give yourself your own nickname and it's something as fire as playoff P, of course, the internet, the trolls, they don't want you to thrive. But the reality is Paul George has struggled late in the game at the free throw line. Now, we've seen this a lot. Ben Simmons, Giannis, Paul George, like what, like if you're a superstar, is it just a part of the contract? If we're paying you X a million dollars, <laughs> are you supposed to make it? I mean, look, I miss free throws too. I get it. But when you're on this level, like what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's interesting because so much of the way we talk about sports is like a relitigation of these like established legacies. Players like Giannis or KD, what KD did uh, in Game 5 against the Bucks, we look at those performances and we judge them through the lens of basically Michael Jordan, right? That, that, I yeah. mean, that's the way it happens. Like Michael Jordan kind of laid out for right or wrong, we can think it's unfair or fair or whatever, but Michael Jordan laid out the template of basically what's expected of an NBA superstar, right? Yep. You guard the best guy, you take all the big shots, and you have a very short memory when it comes to your own failures, and you come through when it matters, and you want that moment. You, you invite the pressure. You don't run from the smoke. You run toward the smoke. Yeah. Uh, and so it is... In that sense, part of what we're saying about Giannis when we're like, wow, look at this, is basically Michael would never have done this. You know, and that's uh, that's uh, fairly unfairly. That is the case. We, we we look at these players through the lens of the greatness established by Jordan. We do it with LeBron, too. When, you know, LeBron early in his career, when he was yep. uh, passing to open guys, we were like, well, why are you doing that? I mean, it was obvious. Yeah, and he's a pass a good, first player. Yeah. And we still did that comparison. So I think that, to me, when we look at Paul George and when we consider him naming himself Playoff P and all the kind of, like, the, the jokes and the memes that came from that, part of that is the fact that we're not used to players who talk that stuff then failing. It's yeah. very rare that that happens. Like, Tim Duncan didn't say anything. Kawhi Leonard, of mm. course, doesn't say anything. Trey Young talks a lot, but backs it up and also oh, yeah. has that extra layer of 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 kind of like bulletproofness where even when he fails, you know he doesn't care. Like, he doesn't care. Yep. He says, see you in the A. For instance, when they were cussing him out and yelling at him, he's like, all right, yeah, all right, I'll see you in the A. Yeah, he doesn't care. He could airball, <laughs> he could airball five straight big threes, and, and I guarantee you he doesn't care. Facts. Uh, but there is something like – 
on the one hand, like compelling and vulnerable about like Paul George, a guy who you can tell really wants to be great. Yeah. Um, and has been open about his, his own struggles with that pressure and, and with mental health. That kind of struggle is fascinating under the glare created by this like template of, of Michael Jordan's greatness. It's just really interesting to, to, to view the, the, some of the stars that we have, the young stars uh, and the current stars, not LeBron stars, I should say, uh, that we have in the league right now through that lens. You know, you said something interesting because Michael Jordan set the bar higher than a lot of superstars high, high, are high. reaching in a sense of how often do you see the best player guard the best player? You know, a lot mm -hmm. of people were upset in the Bucks net series because they were like, why isn't Giannis guarding KD? He's in the press conference saying that KD is one of the best players to ever play the game. And so that's not, that doesn't even happen. You might see them match up when it's like crunch time and the minutes matter, yeah. but Michael and them really were guarding the other team's best players and then dropping a gazillion points on the other end. So I, I just wanted to say they that is different. But to Paul George's thing, that's interesting because I think you're right. And you know what? This is where branding and everything. I remember Paul George released some playoff shoes, some PlayStation type of shoes. Where the PlayStation, yeah, those were cool, actually. I like Those were cool. And so there was this whole playoff PlayStation P. It was like... I, re I could see how the brand got all mixed in to where it became playoff P. But to your point, if you talk about it, oh my gosh, with the yeah, internet these days, the internet will it, not let you forget anything. Like no, nothing. No, no, no. That's no, it. No, no, no. And he talked about it. And now this is happening. He's just a very compelling player to me because it, it, in a sense, he can't, he can't win. You know, it's like when he misses, when he bricks two crucial free throws, a hundred percent like that's we're going to see those memes. We're going to see those jokes. Then when he plays well, as he has been playing well, like over the course of the series. Yeah. Even even within that game where he missed the free throws, you really don't hear about it. You know, he had uh, he had 23, 16 and six in game four. And like we, we don't talk about it. It's it's an interesting situation that Paul George is in. He's a, he's a really good player who. Is just, we will not let him forget the things that he has said. <laughs> you talked about interesting players. How do we feel about Kawhi Leonard in the, in the box office? Okay. He has his own suite. Now, if this was anyone other than Kawhi Leonard, right. I would say, I think this is pretty unacceptable because even though you're not playing, get your swaggiest outfit, get on the sidelines, talk to your teammates, be there, be vocal, be present. But we all know Kawhi Leonard and his personality type. Is it okay that Kawhi is not on the bench? Like, is that okay? I mean, I, I, really, I should be asking you. I, I will say that... <laughs> You know what's – here's the thing that I love about the playoffs. Um, Kenny the Jet Smith kind of talked about this, and it was fascinating on a couple of weeks ago on Inside. It's like the Clippers are in the conference finals for the first time ever. Wow. There's no one on that roster. There's no coach. There's no one in that organization who, if they want to say something, will not have everybody's attention in that moment. Everybody is locked in. You're in your yeah. the conference finals for the first time. You're you're a step away from the finals. If anybody on that squad wants to say, "Hey, I'm seeing this," they will have the undivided attention of everybody on that team. And that's part of what makes the playoffs so exciting. It's that other level that gets unlocked where you really realize, "Oh, not to say that 
players are coasting during the the regular season, but there's a different right. level of intensity. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think you're right that we, because of Kawhi's extreme <laughs> reticence, his quietness, the uncanny quietness and and low keyness that he has, that we just kind of like. <laughs> We just let this go because in that yeah. moment, if he was down there on the floor, even though he's in street clothes, if he sees something, if he sees an assignment, if he sees an opportunity, if he sees something that an, a player could be doing, he could offer that. And I 100% everybody on that sideline will be locked in on what he has to For say. Sure. And it's interesting For that sure. he's not taking that opportunity. You know, well, that made me think back to. I don't know if anyone remembers, but when he was playing for the San Antonio Spurs, it became yeah. a really big thing that he wasn't yep. showing up to the facility. You know, yep. Pop would be like, I don't know where he's at. You know, like it was that kind of like they didn't know what was going on and he was kind of doing his own thing. So in the Spurs organization, they didn't like that. But we all still kind of gave him that same pass like. Well, it is Kawhi. I mean, he's quiet. Yeah. He's the fun guy, sarcastic title that they gave him. But it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't see any problem with him being up there. And in the same time I say that, if that was any other player, I would be like, no yep. way. You have to be on the bench. You, you have to be, be present. Even just having you there gives a calmness to the team. If you can go to the huddle and say something, that's what you do. Even when you're that superstar leader, if you can't be there on the court, you have to be there in spirit with them and talk to them and give them energy. I would say that about every single other player in the world. He is the one player that I'm like, huh. I mean, like you start to like... <laughs> I mean, because you even see how he is up there and you're like, would that enhance the bench any? Like, I mean, I, I don't mean, think so. But Mike Breen, <laughs> in his Mike Breen call way, said, <laughs> Kawhi Leonard going crazy. And then they <laughs> cut to him. And Kawhi looks like, I don't know, he looks like he's waiting for his car to come out of the car wash. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> there was no reaction at all. None. He just looked absolutely dead-eyed, like... It Nothing. was crazy and no one was surprised, right? Like it was like nah, the perfect nobody. call in the perfect moment. So if he was doing that on the bench, I don't know if that would help. Like I just, I don't. So then right. knowing that he would be doing that exact same thing on the bench, that's kind of what gives him a pass because it's like, well, I mean, that's not helpful. Yeah, don't bring down I mean, the energy. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I don't think he would be bringing it down. I just don't think he would be lifting it up. I think that they're used to his energy like that. He's that he vibrates low. Yeah. I think his teammates see a different him, by the way, too. I want to throw that out yeah. there. I think we see Kawhi a certain way, but I know his teammates see him different. But also, I do know that if he's sitting in street clothes, I would assume that he would probably be just sitting there just like that. So, yeah, why not? Get your own suite, have the family up there, eat some food. Why not? You're Kawhi. It makes sense. Renee, in your runs to uh, to the title, whether as a professional or as a, as a college athlete, was there ever a moment where, like, you were you had a concern, you had something you wanted to say, and you stepped up to, to address the team? And what was that energy like? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I don't know if there was a time where I didn't. Um, I'm a point guard, so the point guards, is, if people don't know, we talk a lot. We're like the extension of the coach on the court. And so that's why it popped in my mind. Like, imagine if Kawhi was a, a point guard. Or imagine it. I don't know. You know what I mean? Work. Like that yeah. would that would have to be a, a now he wouldn't be in the he couldn't be in the um suites then. He would have to be down there. But no, I mean there was plenty of times where 
if you just you know the temperature of your team, I can tell in warm ups if our team doesn't have it or if our team ain't right. Like in warm ups, if we I feel like our energy is off, the I do a temperature check. I'm like, oh, are we good? Like, is everybody good? Because we got a game to play and we ain't trying to get embarrassed. Like, I just, I'm going to just say it. I'm going to be like, we done missed three layups in warmups. <laughs> Nobody's guarding us. How are we going to make it in the game? Like, snap into it, get into it. Like, I would say that, no doubt. Um, but again, it's so interesting because we're dealing with players that aren't necessarily known for their vocal presence. So it's, it's such an interesting dynamic here. You know him as a host of sports journalists from places like ESPN, CNN, and the LA Times. His new podcast, Life Out Loud, aims to preserve the history of the LGBTQ community. It's available now wherever you get your podcast. LZ, welcome to Take Line. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited, especially since I know we're going to spend half the podcast breaking down what's in your spot right now. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we are not going to do that. Just look at it as a whole. Listen, I wanted to talk to you about some things because in terms of sports and how it relates to the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of legislation get passed banning transgender athletes from competing in competition within their gender identity. Now, clearly, this is a manufactured problem because we haven't seen enough data to prove that this is needed. But how do you see sports landscape changing in reaction to these type of legislations? That's a very good question because... 10 years ago, I would have said that what happens in D.C. and what happens on the field and what happens on airwaves are still in silos. But one thing that is definitely true post the other guy's administration is that it's almost impossible now to pull apart these pieces. That if you say, for instance, um, or Tom Brady jersey, you may be making a political affiliation statement now that you weren't making 10 years ago. So when I think about the uh, LGBTQ people in general and these trans kids, these trans youth specifically to your question, you know, I don't know if sports, if professional sports or any level of sports can begin to have this conversation without also being cognizant of how this will play out politically in terms of, will so-and-so, so-and-so tweet about me? Will mm. so-and-so, so-and-so say this on Fox News about me or CNN yeah. about me? So I think these things have always been married, Renee. It's just that they've come into a clearer focus because of social media and because of what the country went through over the past five years. Yeah, uh, we're seeing these kind of tensions play out, not just here in this country, but but. Uh, internationally, mm-hmm. uh, recently German football stadiums defied UEFA, uh, the European uh, football organizing uh, body, by lighting up their stadiums uh, with pride colors. You've covered sports internationally for a while. How do you see other countries handling what seems to be the more conservative leanings of their international governing bodies? Well, I, w- I would say that uh, the world as a whole is is, re- is responding to these issues in the, very much the way we are here stateside. Case in point, the strategy type you're talking about, mm-hmm. forgive me, but I ain't following German soccer like that, so I didn't know what the hell was going on. But, <laughs> but I do follow Nicholas Kiefer, 
Mm. who is a retired German tennis player. And he simply put up a rainbow flag on his Twitter feed one day. And I was like, no way, Nicholas Kiefer's gay? Oh, hell yeah, we in the cut like that. But it wasn't (laughs) that. He was just showing support Mm. for the community because of what you're talking about right there. And that reminds me so much of the way that we have domestic athletes who will show support for a very, you know, wide range of subject matters using their own social media platforms to let people know we're not all like this. We're not all thinking the same way. So I think there's one aspect of it where there are certain countries where being LGBTQ youth can lead to death, right? That is a different conversation to be had because we're still having sporting events held in those spaces. And we haven't even begun having those conversations. Why is the ATP holding tournaments in countries where LGBTQ people can be killed? Stuff like that. Mm. That's one aspect of conversation. But then there's what you're talking about, which is how are citizens navigating this? And how are other athletes navigating this? And I think that one example I just showed, and I know there are other examples of athletes doing what they do here stateside. Something happens policy-wide, they got something to say and they're not afraid to say it and challenge. Now, that's true. Athletes are, people are not afraid to say anything anymore. Like that time right. has passed where people are quiet and an, an athlete that stood up very loud in a post last week was Raiders defensive lineman Carl Nassib, who came out mm-hmm. as the only player actively playing in the NFL that's gay. And he's having, like, I want to say this to make sure we acknowledge that he's a great football player. He's having an amazing career so far, 20 and a half sacks in five seasons. But what do you make of the rigors involved in the decision-making of athletes and coming out? As we've seen, sometimes it works well. And sometimes you have people like a Michael Sam who just couldn't find his footing in the NFL after he came out. You know, uh, it's a case-by-case basis. And I'm not trying to duck the question, but I think every sport has a different culture and every athlete has a different journey. Um, And so I don't know what Carl's journey was, right? I can make certain assumptions for sure based upon my own experiences and my years of reporting, but we don't know what it was like for him Mm -hmm. uh, because he hasn't shared that yet. Um, Right. That degree. So I don't know how to speak specifically to him. But what I will say is having interviewed other NFL players who have come out in retirement, I can only assume the environment that Carl is coming out into hasn't changed that much from where Dave Copay was or Sarah Tuallo was or, you know, Michael Sam in your case. Um, there are def- definitely policies domestically that have made things better for us legally. There's a shift in attitudes that in people's hearts that have made things better for us culturally. But you know this, Renee. Sports is a different beast, man. Oh, yeah. It's oh, a yeah. work environment, but it's not a work environment, if you know what I'm well, saying. Like, there are yeah. a lot of things that are more acceptable in a sports professional environment than it would be in any other environment, whether you're on the field or a reporter or, you know, a commentator or anything. You're attached to sports. It's just a different set of rules. So I don't know um, how Carl processed everything. But it certainly helps that he has that contract. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's definitely. the thing that's different. That's the thing that's different this time. Michael Sam, he was drafted. He was a late pick. He had a okay preseason. And then he didn't make the team. Yeah. And we could certainly, you know, think about all the different reasons why he didn't make the team. You know, we could say homophobia played a part. We could say... 
uh, his size played a part. We can say the reality TV show that he was planning on doing played a part. But we can't definitively say it was homophobia that killed Michael Sam out of the sport. But in Carl's case, to your point, Renee, he's an excellent football player. He's got a yep. nice, fat-ass contract, and he's got the yep. numbers. So what you going to say? All of a sudden, now he can't play because he's gay? Come on, now. Make it make sense. They'll have to make it make sense. They'll have to make it make sense. You said something about like the environment that it was for the retired players. What was that environment? Because you talked about it, but what was that environment that you don't think has changed that much? Um, the presence of toxic masculinity is still there. Yeah. Um, the need to project this sort of tougher than tough, tough, tough um, presence at all times for survival um, in the NFL is still there. And the reason why I say that is because we are still trying to have an intelligent conversation about mental health. Yeah. And the biggest, I guess, stigma about mental health as it pertains to men is that if you admit this, that means you're weak somehow. And that's mental health, right? Which is at this point, you would think basic as hell and no one would still be trying to push back over this notion that, you know, we need to take care of our minds the same way we do our bodies. Right. But we, but we haven't even evolved there yet. So this idea that an entire league, which is still grappling with mental health, which quite hasn't figured out yet how to handle domestic violence and sexual assault allegations, which is still even processing the fact they got black players who actually have lives outside of the football stadium <laughs> and may actually be concerned that if not them, then someone they love may be, you know, confronted with the hostile situation as it pertains to law enforcement. How in the hell are they going to process different sexual orientations? Heaven forbid somebody comes out as pansexual. The NFL might just blow up. Oh, <laughs> pansexual? What the hell? Oh, what is that, Roger? Roger, you ready for a statement? No, 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 no. Ignore it. Pretend it didn't happen. Oh my god! Pansexual? What? Oh my gosh! Hey, so ready? Obviously, we don't want to speculate on, on on what it was that led Carl to feel like uh, now is the right time. And and you mentioned uh, the presence of toxic masculinity uh, within uh, locker rooms. I think, you know, what I'm getting at is some of my friends who are not like super sports people, right? Sports fans. I don't know those people. Uh, right. <laughs> to them, to them, they'd say... Like, you know, I, I would have discussions with them about, oh, yeah, there are surely uh, gay players in in the NFL and MLB and in the NBA. Well, why don't they just come out? Like, it's a totally different world. I did, you know, like, what's the big deal? Like, why don't they just do it? And toxic masculinity aside, what would you say to them as some of the other pressures that are just uh, that are inherent in sports that aren't the same in, you know, your kind of like general office culture um well i think one the people who are closeted that i know are closeted for a variety of reasons it's not just simply the culture has changed i know men who won't come out because they come from a very conservative family background yeah. and they don't want to manage that conversation come thanksgiving or christmas mm. i know men who don't want to come out because they are concerned about their next contract. Now, of course, these men have been concerned about the next contract for 10 years, so I'm giving them a side eye. But nonetheless, that's what they're saying. <laughs> is that, that's what they're saying is that they're concerned about their well-being. 
Um, the idea that it's not a big deal because Little Nas X could get his grind doing at the BET oh. Awards, which I oh, highly appreciate it, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> he had me thinking in pure thoughts about the young man. He needs to cut that out. Um, the idea, though, that we're there as a culture doesn't mean that every pocket is there. Mm. You know, we're in the midst of Pride Month, and that doesn't mean that every community has flags waving. That doesn't mean that every Target has a has a Pride display. And I can say this because I've been to Targets in sort of like more conservative parts of the country that were just like going, nah. Mm. Yeah. And then I've been to L.A., and it's just like, Pew. So just as there's different approaches to the displays that a Target may have this, during this time of month, that's also true for people's realities. Mm-hmm. And so I try not to judge these men, and I'm going to say men because let's be real about it. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. Like we understand that the country certainly has a much more accepting attitude about women coming out in sports than they yeah. do about men. Um, the numbers would suggest that anyway. But these men aren't coming out for a variety of reasons, but it all boils down to one core essential part of all of it, and that's fear. There is shame and there's fear. And so when people say, why don't you just come out? Well, why don't you look at the 250 plus anti-LGBTQ bills that have been introduced in this year alone and ask me if that feels good to you? Or why don't you go back and just listen to the confirmation hearing for Dr. Rachel Levine? And the line of question that was being asked about her. We had a U.S. senator in the midst of a pandemic question her about a child's genitalia and mutilation, but not once about the pandemic that we were trying to recover from. So if you're asking me, you know, what's the big deal? I would simply say to you, you tell me because we just trying to live our lives. Y'all the motherfuckers that won't let us just live. (laughs) I'm sorry. Can I curse on this? Yes, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) No, this is exactly why your new podcast that's out, Life Out Loud, is available now. People can hear your personality. You're hilarious. Tell us what's in store on future episodes and why this project is so important to you because clearly you're a handful and it's fun to hear. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Future episodes. I'm actually really excited about the second half of, of season one, which is crazy because the first half of season one was bonkers, right? Dr. Fauci, uh, MJ Rodriguez, uh, wow. Dr. Levay, like really, really important figures, Senator Timmy Baldwin. But the second half is where I get real gully, I think. <laughs> and it's because I, I have how did episode. you get gully on him how did you get <laughs> you gully get, so, you get so, gully on Dr. Fauci so, so <laughs> I, I, I didn't feel that was appropriate <laughs> okay okay the, so you set second, it up so in the yeah. second half of the season uh, like for instance there's a sports conversation uh, that we actually recorded prior to Carl coming out listen we call him Carl like we boys uh, prior to him coming out <laughs> I never even heard of the dude before last week but still, you in the family now, so we good. Um, <laughs> it was myself, it was Keyshawn Johnson, it was Jason Collins, and it was Rick Welts, the outgoing president of the Golden State Warriors. Mm-hmm. Uh, two openly gay men in professional sports, and then obviously Keyshawn uh, uh, is, is an ally. And we just have a real conversation about that intersection of sexual orientation and sports. 
And we go everywhere. We talk about sex in the shower. We talk about this. Not sex in the shower. Sex and the shower. Just want to shake oh, sure. Lord. No one got confused. <laughs> and then I also spent some time talking to uh, this actor by the name of Daniel Newman, for those of you who are Walking Dead fans. Daniel came out a few years ago. And we have a whole conversation about his thirst trap videos on Instagram. And, <laughs> and then he actually wrote up on my page and actually posted something like I was thirst trapping. And then he, at the same day, he posts something up with him standing there in the jock strap. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Your whole what ass is, is hanging going out. On? <laughs> Your whole ass is hanging out. And you on my page saw some thirst trapping. So these are conversations, legitimate conversations that we have, you know, on future episodes oh of the God. podcast. But they're meant to be fun, right? And they're meant to talk about things like... Yes the male figure and the body and why we actually squeamish about it. And when we talk about, you know, men in sports and like, what is it about the idea there's a gay man in the locker room that makes you so nervous and upset you can't manage it. And that your response is to make sure he can't be there as opposed to you just doing some Mm. simple work and figuring out why your homophobia has got you so caught up like that. So we have those conversations and then we get back to some seriousness because I, I do go back to interview some politicians, but there are some real fun conversations uh, in the second half where we have, uh, I won't say inappropriate conversations because I think all conversations are inappropriate. <laughs> it sounded like it. It sounded like some of them got a little spicy. Well, you know, I mean, it was pride, girl. We were proud. Okay, okay, look. Listen, don't threaten me with a good time. That's all I've said, Okay. <laughs> It was it was it was really really a lot of joy. And then the very last episode of season one, um, right before the Olympics, we talked to gay Olympian Tom Daly and his husband, who's Oscar winner Dustin Lance Black, and we have an amazing conversation about their marriage, how they met, um, the, their value system, they're raising a child, so parenting as you know these two gay dads with these big careers. And we have a lot of laughter and fun with that. So I, I you know, as much as I love the first uh, half of season one, uh, season two, I think is equally, if not as, as joyous. Well, he is LZ Granderson. Listen to his podcast, Life Out Loud, on all major podcast platforms. New episodes dropping every Thursday. LZ, thank you so much for joining the show. Yes, Thank you guys LZ. so, so much. And I'm taking a screen grab, Renee, because yeah. I'm going to break down your background. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, well, speaking of, look at the wifey down there right there. So when you screen oh. grab that, make sure you get her, okay? Oh, let me blow that up. Let me make okay. sure I blow all that up. <laughs> yeah. All that up. I do feel, you got to help Jason, though. He's got way too much New York Knicks stuff behind him. <laughs> oh, I they know. make one little postseason in 20 years, <laughs> and he's like... He threw a whole parade in his whole apartment. I I don't... Listen, it's like family. Just because <laughs> someone's going through a tough time for 20 years, you don't you walk away from anyway. them. You love them anyway. Y'all ain't won a championship since I was in diapers. You go on with that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. Thank you. The NBA coaching world was shaking up last week with a flurry of reported moves, including Rick Carlisle returning to Indiana, 
Emi Udoka landing the Celtics job, Jason Kidd heading to Dallas, and Chauncey Billups. This was the story. Chauncey yeah. Billups becoming a first-time head coach in Portland. All not without controversy, of course. Now, yeah. here's the thing. He's a first-time head coach. He also received a five-year deal. Five years. Woo! Uh, okay, let's talk about the Billups-Portland Dame Lillard situation. So just to catch everybody up, um, Portland had a number of candidates, but it certainly seemed like Billups was uh, the leader in the clubhouse. He has a relationship with with uh, GM Neil Oshie, who signed Billups as a point guard uh, with the Clippers back in 2011. And that's often how these things go, right? Is, is yep. you know, the front office sees the coach as kind of, you know, when any kind of upheaval disappointment happens, you want to be able to, it's the coach who gets fired first, right? Because if the if it's not the coach, it's going to be the front office. So there needs to be a high level of trust there. So this is often how it happens, right? It, the GM has a relationship with a proposed coaching candidate, and that's the person who gets hired. Now, the thing with Bill Ups that became controversial is apparently, and I did not know this, this was, this is one of those things that like, Pre happened like pre-internet and is a thing yeah. that people had forgotten about. When Billups was with the Celtics in 97, he and his teammate Ron Mercer uh, were accused of sexual assault. They ended up uh, settling the case, but the, the, the details are pretty troubling. And then when this emerged, along with Billups, uh, you know, being the uh, uh, seemingly the leading candidate for the job and about to get hired... The discourse online then kind of turned against Blazers star Damian Lillard because it was assumed as the star he would have had some kind of say in who gets hired. And Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports then wrote a story. Shouts to Chris. That's my guy. And uh, Chris is well-sourced in all things Damian Lillard. So when he writes something about the Blazers and about Dame in particular, it is viewed as as being in line with Dame's own concerns. And this piece, um, you know, basically said that uh, the backlash from the fan base, from social media about this uh, has Dame rethinking his relationship with the Blazers. Um there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, what is your reaction to this story, Renee? You know, it's interesting because I didn't even know about this until it came out, like to your yeah, point. Same. And so I, you know that, though, any NBA team, they know every single thing about the person they're going to hire just because when you're hiring people and you're paying millions and millions of dollars, you do your research. And mm -hmm. so, I mean... We know that sports is very forgiving when it comes to domestic violence, domestic abuse. We know that because we've seen it happen not only just in basketball, but in football, too. We've seen the brightest of stars like have murky waters and, and then it just kind of go away. And then we just go cheer on them being a star again. So I'm not surprised in the same breath. It's like, are there not other candidates or is that not a like we don't know all the details of the case? But, yeah. you know, I, it's it's a it's such a tough nuance. So I'll say this: I, I I think that there's a world in which both the Blazers and Billups thought that this would not be an issue. After all, Billups yeah. is he's been present uh, on uh, NBA broadcast. He's been working as an analyst, um, and uh, again, 
you and I are extremely plugged in on all things basketball, and w- this was the first we had heard of it. So, yeah. in a sense, I guess there's a world in which in which both sides could have thought this is not going to come up because it hasn't. Um, obviously, that's not the, the correct way to think about this. And I think yeah, that I there say, but is, is that okay? Like, it's no, like, that is okay, not. If we don't, is, if we don't get caught, not okay. Now, there's <laughs> there's another argument from you know you'll see people online and different commentators saying, well, you know, this case has been settled. Um, nothing else has come up. Chauncey is an upstanding citizen in the years certainly since then. Why should uh, his opportunity to uh, be a head coach be cast aside because of something that happened so many years ago? To which I would say, one, I think I'd say that Chauncey Billups has had, in terms of opportunities, has had plenty and is certainly not hurting in terms of like his employment, etc. And that two... Really, what we're saying is you don't want to look for somebody who doesn't have this kind of thing in their past. Like, no one is saying send Chauncey Billups, like, to jail. We're just saying, is there not someone else? This similar thing is going on with the Mavericks right now. Uh, Of course, the Mavericks have had a bad record in terms of employees with records of uh, domestic abuse and sexual harassment. And now... They are hiring as their head coach, Jason Kidd, who, uh, you know, has a charge of domestic violence against them lodged by his then wife. And then uh, during the divorce, she then raised other issues uh, about uh, spousal abuse. Is there really not another person who doesn't have that um, in their past? And what does it say to people who have suffered this that the world is just willing to let it go if – an executive has a, a relationship with this person and is and and sees them in a completely different light. Those are all things to consider when 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 looking at head coaching positions, a resource and a job that is extremely extremely rare and competitive. You know, you asked the question, and I know it was rhetorical, but I'd love to answer it anyway. Is sure. there not any others out? Well, I know Becky Hammond. She's mm-hmm. a name that. We know that she's studying under the best of the best. There's nobody in their right mind that will say that Pop is not the best and he's the head coach of the Spurs. Greg Popovich is going to go down as one of the best coaches to ever coach in the NBA. She is studying under Greg Popovich. She has paid her dues. She has sat on the bench. She has done her job well. She has won Summer League as the head coach of the Spurs in Summer League. She's done it. She's she's like the resume is there. I'm just curious when we're asking rhetorically, are there any other candidates? I, I just have to raise my hand and say Becky Hammond because I just yeah. don't get it yeah. in a sense of I know there's still current openings out with Orlando, New Orleans and Washington. But when you're weighing the pros and the cons and you know that they do this on the, the umph level, when you have a lot of money, mm-hmm. when, when you're running a big business, every single decision you make gets dissected on so many levels. So for to know all of those things, to your point, we're not saying put the guys in jail or whatever, but I just want to, Becky Hammond, you know, and there's Teresa Weatherspoon out there, but some people might not, she might not have been coaching long enough. Becky Hammond is one that I just, I know that there's this coaching carousel where if I know you and I play golf with you and you're the homie, I hire you. And I think that that's a bigger problem in a sense too, but it's what, like, you would rather have to deal with the media backlash and the fan backlash that's going on right now than maybe take a chance on a Becky Hammond. That's what's kind of crazy to me. 
So now to the Dame Lillard of it all. Here is the the, the first graph of Chris Haynes' uh, report on Yahoo. Quote, the enormous backlash from the Portland Blazers' process to hire a new coach and his concerns on whether a championship contender can be built have become factors that may push the franchise player Damian Lillard out the door, league sources told Yahoo Sports. Now, first of all, it must be said, Dame is 30. Um, uh, he is among the best offensive players in the NBA, top seven, top six, whatever the case may be. So Dame wanting out of Portland is an an absolute earthquake. Yeah. The question in my mind is how much of this, you know, backlash from the process to hire a new coach is legit and how much of it is Dame Lillard was already looking on his way out. He was already looking for a way to move, right? He's 30 again. The championship window is closing. His peak, He's. you would assume that age, he'd be on the downside of his peak. How much of that is kind of like opportunistic? Like, oh, here's an off-ramp I see coming. Uh, maybe I'll use this and take this because, you know, it, one thing we know about Dame Lillard is he has really established a brand as – yeah. Along with Bradley Beal of the guy who's like, I want to do it here. I want to do it here. I don't want to be like the rest of uh, these players who go chasing rings. I want to make it work in Portland, the team that drafted me. Listen, I think that he really, like, had the pieces fallen in place. I 100% da- think that Dame Lillard would have started in Portland and retired there. But players start to get fed up along the way of just yeah. little things that happen. And it could be something minor one year. It could be the next year we knew we need a shooter and we didn't get one. You know, any little things that could happen. And and then all those little things turn into a big thing. And now all of a sudden he's saying he's tweeting out people that he wants to to be the coach. And And let me read this tweet he said real quick because we talked about Billups. And he said, really? I was asked what coaches I like of the names I heard, and I named them. Sorry I wasn't aware of their history. I didn't read the news when I was seven or eight years old. I don't support those things. But if this is the route y'all want to come at me, say less. This is this is terrible for the Portland Trailblazers. I'm, I'm yeah, sorry, no, but it's not good. This is <laughs> this is the fact that he has to tweet and defend himself on a yeah. coach that has just signed a five-year deal. I'm telling you right now, all those little things, all the many million little things, they add up. And then Chris Haynes comes in there with a statement and different things. And it's you can't be surprised. You know, players just want to win. He's we know Dame Lillard is Dame time. And what we mean by that is we know that he steps up in the biggest moments. He wants to be that guy. He wants to be on the stage, but his teams can never get him there. Yeah, I think that right now what's happening is looking like an exit ramp. I mean, here is, just think about it this way, right? Who is the second best player? Who's the best player that, that Dame Lillard has played with in his time as a Blazer? CJ McCollum? CJ McCollum's a nice player. But the kind of running mate, all-star level, second option that, like, uh, Steph has enjoyed? No, certainly not. That KD has enjoyed? Certainly not. That Kyrie has enjoyed? Certainly not. That LeBron has enjoyed? Certainly not. Um, and that is for what nine years now with the Blazers under the under the run of Neil Oshie. Some yeah. of this is on Neil, and and I understand the fans lashing out regarding uh, the the choice to to hire 
Chauncey Billups as the head coach. And I understand um, lashing out at anybody who you thought might have had something to do with it. Right. Because it's a tough decision to defend. That said, this is on this is on the front office. Whatever, whatever. Dave actually can't draft up the contracts and send them over. You know, like he may have given a thumbs up or thumbs down or I don't know or this guy is fine or I don't know about him. At the end of the day, the person who sends the contract over is still the front office is still Neil. And that and that's why I said to that point, you know, millions of dollars. This goes through these organizations. So somebody had to do their Somebody has to do their due diligence. And if that did happen, they need to be telling Dan. Like, I really believe that if you're going to hire somebody where in this day and age, look at where we are, you know, that matters. There's civil unrest when it comes to all categories. It's not just race. It's equality. It's rights. Like there's a civil rights movement going on, whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's about protecting women, whether it's about women's rights. So knowing the climate of 2021 coming off of 2020, I think that's a huge oversight to not at least mention it to your players so that now he's not defending himself on the internet. He said, look, I didn't read the news when I was seven or eight, but your team maybe could have told, like, I don't know how you right. tell this someone is- that, but I don't feel like it's on Dame. Well, I, I, I 100% agree with you. And this honestly feels like, you know, I was on a group chat about this and someone was like, is it just that, is it that they didn't know or is it they know and they just kind of don't care? And unfortunately, I do think it's the second thing. You know, Neil is friends with Chauncey Billups. I think we've, you can, you can't really look at sports and point to too many episodes in which uh, incidents like these have meaningfully hurt the the you know the ceiling of of an individual and so i think that it is i i think that it's unfortunately not a stretch to think that not that they didn't care but they yeah. didn't think that it would be a meaningful factor yep on any level in the way that the franchise was perceived in the discussions around it in the way that in their ability to attract free agents make trades deal with other teams i just think that they didn't think it would be a hindrance um at all and i think that they would probably look at you know the 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 way people have reacted to Chauncey up to this time and th- and thought okay well this thing is is buried nobody has talked about it uh, Chauncey's on TV nobody's talking about it and therefore it doesn't it it doesn't move the needle for us and i think that that is probably what they thought fairly or unfairly i think that's it's a sad statement but i think that that's probably what they thought and and they Dame, thought it was out of sight out of mind i think yeah. yeah, they probably thought it was out of sight, out of mind in a sense of it happened so long ago. Like you said, he's been a, 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 a great guy since then. And so they probably thought, OK, we're clear here. You know, we're in the, yeah. the time frame. We're good. And and I guess this should be a lesson, I think, to to all everyone that, you know, if it's out there, it's going to keep coming back. Like, I don't care how long ago it happened with the Internet these days. We said it when it came to Paul George. They don't let anything die on the Internet. It will keep resurfacing forever almost. I don't have to tell you now. You should be a regular listener that listens every week. So when you hear that sound, you know what time it is. This is the stories that we didn't get in the show. Our buzzer beaters. I'm going to start this thing out because I'm excited about my buzzer beater. So I'm excited to announce that the Renee Montgomery Foundation, which is my foundation, got real creative with the name. Woo! 
We're launching Renee's Runs, which is pickup for women, so that we don't have to wait four games in the wild to get picked up by dudes, basically. We're not having that anymore. We're changing that. So Renee's Runs is going to be pickup games every Monday and Thursday here in the A. The ladies are going to be there. They're going to ball out. And when I say ladies, I mean hoopers. We're going to have somebody on the mic, MCing. We're going to have vibes and music. So we don't need your runs anymore, okay? We got Renee's Runs, and I'm hype about it. Jason, what you got? I got the movies. I've now returned to movie theaters. I am vaccinated. Uh, movie theaters here in L.A. are allowing uh, people in at lower capacity. Um, it's basically an honor system as long as people are being vaccinated. But I, but I've really enjoyed it. I saw In the Heights, and then I recently saw uh, F9, the latest Fast and the Furious, in the theaters. And it's just great to be like back in a the movie theater. It was It f- felt really nice to just be sitting there amongst other people smelling the popcorn <laughs> paying uh fifteen dollars for right. a drink <laughs> <laughs> watching the trailers which is like you get to see the trailers that the are best just part. for the theaters those are the best ones it was it was I, I really enjoyed it it was great to be back it's crazy hearing you say that because as everyone knows atlanta we've kind of been open for so long <laughs> yeah that hearing you say that i'm like wow that's crazy I mean, I, it's, we, you know, I've been, I've been like a next level careful. I have asthma. So I've always been like, and, and I'm one of these people that it's like, I think I just read too many like Armageddon, like (laughs) Hunger Games books and watched too many movies. So as soon as, you know, as soon as the walking dead is going on. So I was like, forget it. I, I went on like full bunker lockdown when this shit happened like i bought I'm no i'm i'm laughing but i bought we did the 35 exact same. pounds of 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 spaghetti yeah no That's i'm laughing like and my family did to. the same like we were like bunkered up i bought a mini fridge just to store more meat <laughs> i was like we have to have meat so i got all kinds of frozen i actually got a, a mini freezer had all kinds of frozen meat i did the same so i'm glad welcome back to society you know we it's have to nice. get back in there it's nice to be back Goodbye. That is it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, yep. All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check it out, folks. See you next week. Let's go! Go Hawks, baby! Okay! <laughs> Take Line is a crooked media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. <laughs>